Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Yield Street webinar. Thank you all so much for taking the time out of your day to join us in discussing the year that was for art finance. I think we can all agree at the start of the year, we did not think this is how 2020 would have gone. It's been quite a year to say the least. On the agenda today, we're going to take a look back on the year and analyze where we have been and look ahead to where we will go in 2021. The structure of today's conversation will be candid and forum-like. In case we haven't met before, my name is Giovanna Quattrone, and I am the Art Research and Valuation Specialist on the Athena Art Finance team here at Yield Street. It's such a pleasure to host this webinar. I'm incredibly lucky to work alongside our guest every day, and I'm very thrilled to be able to introduce her. Some of you may already know her from previous webinars. Today, I am joined by Cynthia Sachs, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer of Athena Art Finance at Yield Street. Cynthia, welcome to the webinar. Thanks, Giovanna, and thanks so much to everyone for joining. Okay, so Cynthia, let's jump right in. This has been quite a year for the art market. Obviously, the pandemic has turned the entire world upside down, specifically in your niche of the art world. How did this affect your business? That's a great question, Giovanna. So it's actually, as everyone can imagine, been quite a bittersweet year for the art market and for Athena and our business in general. Firstly, when the year, of course, kicked off, we were very optimistic that we could continue to grow our credit business and launch more art investments on the platform. However, as things quickly changed in March, uh, when in New York City, where we're based, which it was shut down, not only were we, of course, concerned about the health scare upon us, but we were then faced with the inability to do any new loans. And that was for many reasons. Most importantly, our art collateral due diligence, which is the cornerstone of our underwriting and risk management process, was essentially at a standstill. Uh, what, what does that mean? Given that part of our, our, our underwriting is um, doing research at the major art libraries, which were closed down, uh, our art storage facilities had limited operations and travel restrictions made it very difficult for us to engage third-party appraisers and conservators uh, who we needed, obviously, to be involved in the process. Um, and all of those um, you know, took a long pause in terms of being able to come back uh, online. Due diligence is the critical element of our business, and we uh, will never compromise that. So, so no matter what, you know, and given these circumstances, we were kind of forced to 
put our pencils down, uh, wait to see how the pandemic played out until we were really able to come back and start looking at new loan opportunities. Secondly, I would say that we were concerned back, back in March also um, myself personally about the health of the loan portfolio and the ability of our borrowers to withstand such a shock, which we didn't know how it was gonna play out you know, back then, um, and the ability of our borrowers to continue to service their loans and to repay as expected. I must say now, looking back, that we are very, very happy and pleased with the way the art portfolio performed throughout the year. While we had a few minor modifications um, as everyone was sorting through their uh, various situations, they were very short-lived and our borrowers ultimately performed as expected and as agreed. And again, we were very, very pleased about how the portfolio ultimately performed throughout the year. Thirdly, uh, just the global art market in general and as a whole needed to figure its way out and how to continue doing business in an environment where buyers cannot come and see the artworks up for sale. The major auction houses, Christie's, Phillips, and Sotheby's did an incredible and miraculous job shifting their business models online, while the spring auction season was kind of the gating time frame for them to you know, figure that out, which was very short. And they kept on improving that format throughout the year. So this actually turned into actually a huge boon for the art market as the online digital presence massively expanded their target audience. And now they had greater accessibility to purchasers uh, through their online format and ultimately selling online you know, to uh, a community that expanded throughout the world. Thirdly, I would just say that with the growth in the art market audience, the need for art loans to acquire art or to monetize an existing art collection to make investments elsewhere to help perhaps it was in distressed opportunities in real estate or private equity uh, or the like had expanded as well. So all of this in the end of the day, while the pandemic, of course, is a very, very you know, heartfelt event in terms of you know, the health and you know, lives of, of the whole world, essentially, in a bittersweet way, as I mentioned, has turned out to be kind of a boon for the Athena business and the art market in that we expect loan origination in 2021 to start picking back up, given that there'll be a lot of dislocation in the markets and the need for liquidity to hopefully take advantage of those opportunities. You make several great points here, and I'd like to dive a little bit deeper in discussing some of these changes that businesses were forced to make over the last few months. As we all know, chaos is a catalyst for change. So what do you think that some of the positive effects have been on the art world specifically from COVID? Yeah, it's a great, great question, Giovanna, again. So myself, having been in 2008, at the epicenter of that great financial crisis while I was on the banking side of the business, I very much equate COVID in the same way to the art market actually. Uh, what I mean by that is that in 2008, the banking industry took a huge shock and very much was forced into a major paradigm shift that ultimately made the banks stronger in terms of the way they capitalized themselves and the business models that they ultimately employed. The same thing essentially has happened to the art world in 2020 with their business model shifting to a stronger online platform. Um, and that should serve them actually much better than the traditional model, which was not scalable and made it difficult for them to actually maximize their profitability. So I guess the analogy in my mind is like the rebirth of a phoenix rising from the ashes. The art market has become stronger, smarter, faster, more efficient and scalable, which in today's you know, world of technology is critically important. And I would last add, that largely every industry, right, has benefited from increased accessibility created by innovative technology platforms. And honestly, Yield Street itself is a prime example 
of offering high yielding alternative investments. And because of the pandemic, um, in an even lower ultra uh, low interest rate environment, um, you know, alternatives are becoming more attractive. Okay, that's a perfect segue into my next question for you. Over the last few years, while still steadily increasing, the art market has experienced quite a bit of volatility. Combining that with the points that you just made about increased technology and accessibility within the market, in your opinion, has this caused more investors to seek out alternative investment opportunities like art? Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, it, in my mind, there are, there are two converging issues at hand that make alternative investments such as art very compelling. The fact that we are now in an ultra low interest rate environment being supported by the Fed, coupled with an economic thesis that, that many have, not all, in the global financial markets, um, that you know, given trillions of dollars of government stimulus that has been put into the markets over the past year, that we're in for an inflationary turn of events. With that, um, there is a natural flight into hedge, into a hedge for inflation risk, and real and physical assets, you know, which are part of the alternative asset classes, such as gold or you know, real estate, um, particularly art, very much are expected to benefit from that. Um, we're seeing that in our portfolio where we have many art loans to art collectors, but you know, they're also art investors. So these art investors, many of them are um, their core businesses in real estate or in private equity. We're using leverage to benefit their businesses and clearly um, enhance their returns is commonplace. And so many of them have dabbled into you know, the art market, maybe even just casually at one point in their life as they got interested in art and then realized they had a real passion for it and ultimately realized it could be uh, an investment uh, as part of their balance sheet or actually even a business where some of them have turned into art dealers to some degree, even depending on what they've purchased. Um, so we've seen this evolution around art, particularly given its physicality, particularly um, in circles where you know, investors are used to being um, within that alternative space of physical assets and real assets. And that's really been exciting to see the growth um, you know, in the art market, but also in art credit or, or art back loans. So while art is a passion asset, it tends to be in more normal times uncorrelated to more liquid exchange traded assets. It's one that is very much in view given you know, the, the times that we're in right now. So we're excited thinking that this is now kind of a version, you know, I'll say 2.0 or 3.0 for our business, but also for the art market as it's grown globally with more accessibility um, and just more excitement around it as well. So with all of the market activities and pivots that are happening right now in the art world, have you seen any effect on valuations and inflation? Yes, really interesting question. So. To our surprise, actually, which, as I mentioned back in March, I was very concerned about where the art market and all the markets, right, we're gonna we're gonna land. Um, obviously, seeing how the equity markets and other credit markets um, performed, many obviously significantly declining or widening out, um, you know, in, in a significant way. Um, so thinking that art would have the same kind of follow-on. Uh, to, to the behavior in those asset classes. Art generally lags those markets, um, but we did have an auction season coming up. So that was a critical, critical time for the art market to see where valuations would hold up. And so we were um, you know, very happy and, and surprised in a way to see that in the spring of 2020, 
that the valuations held up very well. And post that auction season, what we did in our portfolio um, going into the summer was we took the, that opportunity to basically revalue or remark our entire book of our art collateral and revalue them by third parties. And what we ended up seeing um, through valuing you know, hundreds of artworks at that time was that actually the valuations held up and were unchanged or actually increased. There were only a very, very small percentage and generally in some you know, lower priced or valued artworks that saw declines, which were de minimis. And so very few actually went down in value, but overall the portfolio went slightly up actually in value. Um, so we were very, very pleased to see that. And that was very important given how we structure our loans um, to make sure that um, they're in compliance with their requirements on LTV, et cetera. So we actually saw that the auction houses also um, now going into the fall are struggling to source blue chip property in the art market. So instead of being flooded with supply, where you would think like we're at a, you know, a recessionary market, uh, you know, liquidity is needed, there's gonna be much supply coming in, which would depress prices potentially, actually the auction houses are actually struggling to find really great property. And so they're not being flooded with supply and the prices are not coming down. The supply demand equation actually got stronger. Um, even the last auction season, season, which just occurred in, you know, call it November, December, if any of you are watching the auctions, um, particularly Phillips auction, did incredibly, incredibly well. They had their record New York sale uh, in, in the early part of December and had record prices for four to five of their artists or artworks that were brought for that artist. And it was actually a breathtaking auction to see. So we were very happy to see how evaluations held up um, and have, uh, in certain cases, gone up significantly at auction. Yes, that sale from Phillips was very, very exciting to watch. Um, I hope that some of you were able to, to tune in and, and take part in that virtually. So speaking of valuations, what kind of information does Athena use to inform the valuation aspect of its underwriting process? Specifically, where does this data come from and what does it mean for investors? Something we focus on every day. As everyone on the webinar um, knows, art relative to other asset classes is relatively illiquid as opposed to you know, stocks and bonds that trade on an exchange. Uh, so relatively illiquid and has historically been a very opaque asset class. So in order for asset classes to thrive and grow, uh, the marketplace needs transparency to gain confidence in the product and in the prices being offered. So seeing now the auctions go online and for there, be, for there to be this transparency, it's a huge, huge benefit to the overall art market. So in response to this um, and in creating an institutional art back lending business, you know, we were very much aware that the market was opaque. And so what we did early on in the business, clearly before this year, um, when more transparency has come in, we have created at the very early stages of the business back in 2015, an internal data analytics methodology and uh, a, a database that we pull from to create these data analytics that help guide our investment decision-making process. We essentially look back to 15 years of historical public trading data. We break it down by each artist 
in terms of its trading, his or her trading activity, trading volume, liquidity, volatility metrics, growth trends, and growth rates, et cetera. Then we look at the micro factors as well at the artwork level, right? We look at and, and actually score every artwork based on 10 uh, or so important factors uh, to determine if the artwork and the score that's derived is essentially eligible. It, it, it helps us determine quantitatively, right? If it's eligible for us to lend against. And based on that score, high or low, we then can apply an appropriate LTV and price the, the loan, um, you know, given the loan pool. So we have a very, very disciplined, methodical way that we look at the art market globally. We look at the artist level, you know, track records. We look at the artwork itself. We come up with an ultimate score, which ultimately helps us basically risk adjust and risk price our deals. And we do that on a consistent basis so that every loan is treated in the same exact way. It's replicatable and it helps us actually be very fast in looking at new opportunities. Just to add, just in case anyone's curious, um, we developed this risk scoring methodology from scratch. It's proprietary to us. No one in the world uses it um, or has developed it in, in the way that we have for our business. You know, and it takes things into account like the subject matter of the artwork, the length of ownership, if it was fresh to the market or not, the condition, of course, every asset that's physical, the condition's important, the exhibition history, the auction history, provenance of the work, et cetera. So anyway, just wanted to give you a little flavor so everyone has an understanding that we take this very, very seriously. We do a deep dive into every loan that we do and really treat each one you know, in the same way so that we're protecting our investors. Okay, so Cynthia, before we take a deeper dive into talking about this methodology, I'd like to address a question that came in in the Q&A box. This person would like to know, aside from the internal auction results and private sales, how our valuations work and what we do externally right. to get to our valuations. Sure. So luckily we have Giovanna moderating this panel today. So you can all see and hear her. Um, and she's super smart and she has been involved in our business for the last five years um, on the platform, working with us day to day. And so the first thing that we do is once we receive collateral um, and the description around it, the image, the provenance, exhibition history, et cetera, it first goes to Giovanna for her to do all of her analytical work at a very indicative level, I'll say. So she will look at comps, she will look at other market factors, and she, at a very indicative level, will come up with her own valuations basically based on direct and indirect comparables to that artist and artwork um, within that artist's body of work. We'll be able to then use that as a guidepost to say, okay, based on this and based on an assumption on the LTV, what loan size can we offer? Many times the loan size and what we can offer, the loan size that the client wants, I should say, and the loan size we can offer differ. Because as you can imagine, um, many people come in saying that their art collection is worth you know, a lot, a lot of money. And generally when we do our analysis, which is conservative, you know, we might be a significantly less generous and come up with a, a lower number. But ultimately we use that to agree on what the loan size potentially can be. But we don't just take that as our only way of looking at valuation. Once we engage with the client, uh, potential borrower, we engage with third-party independent appraisal firms um, that in their own independent uh, view, also value the works. And it is really based on that independent valuation 
that we ultimately decide what the values are and in, in concert with Giovanna, ensure that we're being um, conservative in, in that approach and then using those values, um, which usually corroborate fairly well with Giovanna's values. So it gives us an extra level of comfort to ultimately lend. And many of you probably know, uh, we generally lend at a maximum of 50% LTV. So we have a lot of cushion uh, on those valuations given the loan size. Could you speak just a little bit more about the scale of our network of appraisers? I think that maybe some sure. people are wondering if we just have one person that we use or how that works. Right. We really try to use the best in class um, in everything that we do. So we have many appraisers. We do tend to gravitate towards independent third-party appraisers that are initially right not trading art in the way the auction houses do. So we have a stable of independent firms that we use who have global reach because many of our artworks might be in Europe or in other locations. And if it's artworks that suit their staff in terms of their expertise, that will generally be our first engagement is to engage those third-party appraisers. Um, however, we also do, um, in many cases, have good relationships with the auction houses and they have appraisal areas as well and expert and experts in-house. We always use USPAP, which is the, you know, the certified organization that oversees the art appraiser community um, to make sure that the appraisers are certified. Um, we may look to um, an auction house appraiser if it's appropriate. And then also many times we will look to independent appraisers that are experts in that specific artist. So many times, particularly in the Impressionist space or in Old Masters, where you have scholars and you have people who study these art artists for pretty much their life and know the artist, the history, the works, the catalog raisonnés, which is the Bibles for these artists, and know where these artworks trade, we may go to that level of detail if we feel it's necessary because it's very, very specialized in certain cases. Okay, so I'd like to take a step back and speak a little bit more about the methodology that you developed from nothing, I'll add, in order to inform the underwriting decisions of Athena. How does this methodology help your clients? Well, I'll just step back and first say that the methodology that was developed, as I, I just spoke about, it was developed because it's important to have a framework and a discipline about how you lend uh, money based on risk. So other asset classes, right, the corporate and muni markets, et cetera, have the rating agencies, whether it be Moody's, S&P, et cetera, they have different ways of looking at risk through a risk rating system. And, you know, in the consumer market, you have FICO scores, et cetera. So borrowing really, I mean, it wasn't genius, quite frankly, <laughs> just borrowing the concept of we need to understand how to risk score some asset, in this case, art, unfortunately for us, it had never been done before, was really the impetus for just building a proper loan business and underwriting platform so that we can do it in a way that um, is going to guide our risk-making decisions, essentially, to protect our investors, of course. So with that, we developed it. And also what, how, how it helps our clients is that because we have this disciplined approach and we have uh, data around it, when a client comes in looking for a loan, 
we can actually very quickly sort through the database and understand the artists, the artworks, where this fits, where it scores very, very quickly. And Giovanna actually spends a lot of her time on this. So we can very quickly look at opportunities and deem them, I'll say eligible or ineligible. And this database and the analytics that um, are derived from it really helps us in the speed of that process. So while we're on the topic of underwriting, we have a question about the process of putting a lien on an artwork that's going to be in our collateral pool. Could you speak a little bit about how that works? So I'll try to break it down and not get into too much detail, but I'll do my best to get into enough detail. So we lend in the US, but we also lend globally. It's important where the artwork is located. So a couple of things around this. In the US, I'm sure as most of you know, there is a UCC filing system. And first and foremost, the way you perfect in the US is through the UCC. However, we still largely take possession of the artworks in our own storage facility. So we also possess artworks in the US as well, um, but the perfection comes through that filing process. And that's what the court would look to in terms of perfection of a security interest. Overseas, however, it's not perfection through filing, as one would say, but it's perfection through possession. So in uh, other jurisdictions, if we have artworks largely in the UK, or we have them in Switzerland as well, in Freeports, which is you know very common for artworks to be held in storage, we must hold them physically in our possession. So we perfect through possession globally away from the US. And that's largely how we look at it. And that's how the perfection process works. And we work very often with local counsel in jurisdictions, of course, work with US counsel, but uh, in other jurisdictions away from the US, we have local counsel that we work with to ensure perfection, to ensure that our pledge agreements are enforceable. And you know we have duly authorized authority from the borrower to take a security interest in the artworks. Okay, I think you took something very complicated and gave a very nice overview, so thank you. <laughs> One other question that has come in is asking if you can speak about what separates Athena Art Finance from other competitors in the art lending space. Okay, so I would break down the art lending space into... I'll say two categories to make it easier. We have the private banks. Uh, there are very large private banks who have art lending, I'll say platforms within their private banks. It's largely offered to their clients who are generally, I'm talking about the big investment banks, who are generally ultra high net worth. And they do a lot of business with those clients and not just art loans, but they're managing their balance sheet. They might be ultra high net worth clients that have businesses where the other parts of the firm are doing business uh, with them regarding maybe some M&A activity or prime brokerage or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of fees that get generated throughout the organization and it's really a relationship driven product. And you could potentially say even maybe a loss leading product because the pricing on those art loans from the private banks are very low. But there's other full service business and cross selling that's done by the banks um, in, in addition to that. And also those art loans are secured by the entire balance sheet generally of the borrower and this full recourse to the principal, I'll say. What we do is different than that. What we do is we are truly lending against the artworks themselves. That's why in 
this webinar, I, I spent so much time explaining our diligence and explaining our process because at the end of the day, we look at every loan and we look at every artwork and assume that the primary source of repayment for that loan is the sale of those artworks. So if that's our primary way out, we have to ensure that the artwork has been diligenced and vetted every which way to Sunday to ensure that once the loan reaches a maturity point that the sale will ultimately repay us. Uh, we also get guarantees. Many times we do try to get full guarantees, but many times we just get what they call um, limited guarantees and a guarantee for bad acts. So if there's a fraud or there's negligence or there is an issue with title or authenticity where there's an event like that, then it triggers full recourse. So we do have that if there's kind of what they say a bad boy event, but it will depend on, on, on each deal and depend on the structure. But our first look at the transaction would be to get a full recourse. So that's the way we look at it. Many times the art loans are not even paid back with the art because the ultimate principal or guarantor will sell another asset and use that, those funds to pay us back. But also many times the art is sold at auction. We work a lot with the auction houses. They know as well consigning artworks for sale. And then once they're sold through the auction houses, the proceeds of those sales come directly to Athena Yield Street to pay down the loan. And we have that all documented so that the flow of funds um, is secured. Okay. One of our attendees would like to know if provenance insurance is a real thing and if we have that for the pieces of art that we analyze. Yeah. So I think maybe what the question is, is provenance insurance, is meaning title insurance, is, is the way I'm going to interpret that. Title insurance in the art market is very tough. There was a company uh, that it's very rare to even find an insurer who, who will insure for title. There was a company that actually um, had gone out of business um, because they could not kind of, I'll just say, do that business well. What's interesting and what we are trying to do at Athena, um, and we look to the mortgage market for this, is that the mortgage market, um, as it's developed over many, many years, obviously has a title system and has a way of validating title through you know, the registry in, the, in that form. And we have had discussions with many parties about doing the same for art. And it is also one of the reasons why our interest rates are higher than what I mentioned with the private banks and call it, you know, 2%. We are you know, much higher than that. And we're getting compensated for the additional risk that, you know, title is something that, um, you know, could be a binary event. And we do our own research to ensure and validate title. And that's a, a big part also of, of Giovanna's job. But the title insurance piece is something that you know, needs to be further, I would say, validated in the marketplace and something that we've had many, many conversations around. Okay, so Cynthia, with that, I think that we will wrap up this webinar. Please remember to visit www.yieldstreet.com to learn more about our offerings and realize your next level with us. If you are an originator, be sure to click through the Raise Capital page or reach out to our originations team. Originations at yieldstreet.com is their email address. Stay tuned as we continue to re release content on a regular basis, and we hope that everyone stays safe and healthy. Thank you so much for attending. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. 
For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.